And we've assumed in watching people over the years, and we've had hundreds and hundreds of men and women from all over the world, different cultures, that it's the parent holding on. And it's true. The parents are gripping tight and they're not accommodating the transitional space that the adult child needs. But we've also learned that the golden boy or the golden girl inside the adult woman or man doesn't want to let go either. They mm. don't want to live outside the, the special status. And they don't want to deal with the grief that I can't be my, both my own man and my mommy's golden boy. And the truth is you can't be both. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. Today we are back with Dr. Greg Miller, our host, and Jim Farm, the clinical director here at Faithful and True. And uh, Jim's going to have a special guest on the podcast today. Absolutely. For those of you that regularly listen to our podcast, you know that we love having people from various fields come and be a part of what we're doing to just share their expertise. And so, Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about the special guest that you're going to be interviewing? Yeah, thanks, you guys. I'm, I'm really excited. I've been trying to get Ken Adams on this podcast for a while, and our schedules just haven't been able to connect. So, But Ken's got a private practice in uh, Michigan, and he's one of the experts in the country, actually, around the, the concept of family enmeshment. And so we're going to talk a little bit about enmeshment, and then in particular, how does that apply to sexual addiction and recovery? Um, he's a national trainer for those of us who have gone through the sexual addiction training for counselors, and so he's pretty well known and been around for quite a while. So I'm really looking forward to having him on the on the podcast. Well, and thanks for making this possible. It, it's great to have Ken come as someone who is an expert in the field of sexual addiction. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Here now is Jim's conversation with Ken Adams. All right. Well, hey, Ken, I'm uh, I'm I'm glad that we're finally able to to do this podcast. Um, appreciate you joining us. Just a little bit for our listeners. Um, this is Ken Adams. He is one of the experts in the country around family enmeshment. He's written books. Uh, my favorite, Silently Seduced. And then I think the other books, When He's Married to Mom. And I think that actually you got a lot more books than that, don't you, Ken? Well, I have one more uh, co-edited book with uh, Dr. Carnes, Clinical Manager of Sex Addiction. And then I have a new book coming out with a couple of colleagues uh, in um, February of uh, next year, uh, Light in the Dark, The uh, Untold Legacy of Adult Children of Sex Addicts. Wow. So it's it's going to be the first book uh, totally devoted to adult children of sexually addicted parents. So we're very wow. excited about that. So it's cool. yeah, that sounds really good. I, I and, and ironically, so we we define the roles in that book, and one of the roles is playing the surrogate husband or wife to one to the lonely spouse or partner, uh, which that role includes an mesh dynamic and we can get to the definition of that when you're ready but yeah just just for our listeners too uh, you 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 were well acquainted with mark our founder i think you mm-hmm. you wrote maybe a chapter in a book with him at some point as well I right? a, yeah i wrote a couple of two or three chapters with mark uh, you, you, all, all on the same topic looking at uh addiction and pastors typically <clears throat> okay Okay. Well, great. Let's, let's, let's get at it. Um, How would you, how would you define enmeshment? So yeah, enmeshment is a term used to um, describe family relationships. So this comes from the literature on uh, family systems, uh, family therapy, that kind of stuff. So they, they're in the business of looking at interactions and which interactions produce symptom packages in children and and problems in family systems. So enmeshment is described as one end of the continuum of family involvement with each other. So one end is disengaged, emotionally disengaged. Nobody's really, there's no warm fuzzies. Nobody's really, really in tune with each other. Nobody really is involved with each other. A lot of lonely souls and and that's its own problem in our culture. But on the other end is is the mesh dynamics, which I've looked at over many years and uh, looked at it in the role of addiction, 
and so forth. And it, it describes family relationships, which everybody's way too involved at the cost to a legitimate path of the unfolding of independence and autonomy with the adult children to have their own life. And for the family system to accommodate that transitional space so they can kind of plant their feet in their life and then be welcomed back into the family of origin. And that's that's a very Western cultural kind of value, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. kind of in, in our Western culture, you're assigned implicitly or explicitly to get your life kind of together mm-hmm. <laughs> romantically and so forth in your 20s and to kind of emancipate, right? And we could argue that, and, and I do get into some discussions that some other cultures, particularly collectivistic cultures, Asian culture, for example, as they sort of immigrate to Western cultures, there's a clash, right? And so what I would call the meshment and refer to it in a pathological state, meaning it's causing problems, they might say, oh, no, this is just normal. This is what we do, right? And if you dare get outside that system, we're going to excommunicate you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, there's a sort of a separate conversation that I don't know if we want to spend a lot of time with, but there are certain systems, certain cultures in which a meshment getting in everybody's business and loyalty to the system is is paramount. And don't you dare cross that loyalty. So in a mesh dynamics, when they're in these dis- disrupted or what we call pathological states, there's loyalty to the parents and the family at a cost to the individual's own journey. I get emails. <clears throat> I just read one just before we got online from a, a woman who said, this is my husband, right? I get I get multiple emails every single day from partners and spouses who say, I never had a chance with this person because they're married to their mother mm-hmm. or they're married to their family, meaning that they're so intertwined and the family or the mother is is the exclu- almost exclusive priority that the spouse always gets second fiddle unless they can live with a certain amount of neglect and accommodate that system. So it, meshment in its sort of simplest form is too much closeness, too much involvement, too many demands for loyalty to the parental authoritative system. And then when it involves, say, mother and son or father and daughter, or if, if the person happens to be of or, um, uh, orientation of, of gay, um, it, so that would change the dynamic a bit. You, you have what a more what I used to call covertly incestuous, where there's a feeling of, oh, this is too close. You're not my I'm not supposed to be your your surrogate lover here, mom. I can't listen to all your problems. And that sort of spins off a separate set of complications. So we have a mesh dynamics, too much closeness, too much demand for loyalty at a cost to the individual journey and unfolding. And then layered in that, we can have a sort of surrogate husband or wife dynamic without overt sexual touch, but a set of inappropriate, what we might call incestuous dynamics mm-hmm. in which I married to my mother. Mm-hmm. So that's the title of my second book, When He's Married to Mom. Because, <laughs> because if he's married to his mother, who, whoever is partnering with him is out of luck. Yes. They just, they're they're going to get, so that's when it gets, so we get a lot of people coming into our uh, program, overcomingameshment.com is our program. That's, that's a primary driver is that there's disruption in the romantic relationship. And so that's the, that's a primary symptom out of this enmeshment. Okay. So, so when, when you're a child and you're an experience in this, you may not necessarily recognize it's happening. And so th- there may be a, a sense, m- m- my assumption is as a child, sometimes there may be a sense of specialness, but also this kind of underlying resentment that's happening at the same time. Would that be true? That's very true. Yeah, no, that's well put. I think you're right on. I think children who are in these uh, uh, roles of being uh, um, leaned on for emotional support and 
uh, given uh, extra responsibility and elevated. <clears throat> so they move from, <clears throat> the, the, the son is not supposed to be the king of the family, right? Yeah. He might get the prince role or she might get the princess role, but but the king and queen have to stay the king and queen, right? And, <laughs> and, and you, you're not supposed to win that position over as a kid. And when you do, you feel empowered. Your yeah. mommy's special yeah. golden boy or your daddy's, you know, sweet golden girl and you 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 begin to absorb a sense of power and dominance and inflation of self but pretty soon it becomes a burden and there is a source of resentment and you're tethered to the parents <clears throat> and then what happens invariably and, and most often it happens to the children in the family whose whose temperaments are sensitive or mm. they're empathic so they tend to absorb they tend to absorb the parental problems or the marital problems or mommy's problems or daddy's. And I take mm -hmm. them on as my own. And don't worry, mommy, I won't leave you. But then he grows up. He's a teenager and pretty soon mom's jealous of his girlfriend. Mm. Well, how'd this happen? Now they're fighting and now she doesn't want him to go out on a date or she's critical of the girlfriend. And pretty soon he manages to break off and marry somebody we know just out of rebellion and and she's and they interfere perhaps in that marriage and so over time the golden boy or the golden girl begins to be worn out by the harness of extra responsibilities that's the downside to this golden boy golden girl status you know we we've watched in the workshops we've done over the years <clears throat> We, we set these workshops up where people are kind of encased in them and it gives them a sense of being able to feel free and what would it be like not to experience this inappropriate guilt. So we're trying to give them a sense of that. And we've assumed in watching people over the years, and we've had hundreds and hundreds of men and women from all over the world, different cultures, that it's the parent holding on. And it's true. The parents are gripping tight and they're not accommodating the transitional space that the adult child needs. But we've also learned that the golden boy or the golden girl inside the adult woman or man doesn't want to let go either. They mm. don't want to live outside the, the special status. And they don't want to deal with the grief that I can't be my, both my own man and my mommy's golden boy. And the truth is you can't be both. Mm -hmm. mm. Interesting. You, yeah. It, so, and, and sometimes people will interpret that as why well, I have to amputate or disown my family by no means. That is not emancipation. Emancipation is I'm, I become my own man, my own woman. I reintegrate myself into my family and you accommodate that reintegration, mom and dad. You meet me on my terms or you, you work with me in, in a spirit of collaboration and equalness. Mm -hmm. Now, some cultures, more collectivistic that they are, will find that difficult. Mm, mm. What happens to the, the if, if you're not the, 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 the more um, sensitive sibling, what, how, does, how do the other siblings in the system, how does that impact them and in mesh system? Well, they often become adversarial sibling rivalry with the golden boy or golden status. So the golden boy almost then gets parentified as well, right? They take on a, a sort of empowered role in which the other siblings don't get. So there sometimes is a built-in jealousy through no fault of, of any of the siblings, right? The system sort of takes over, right? The, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, which is one of the, the observations that the family therapist made over the years is that the system will organize in a way to keep the system going. Mm. And so, so if the golden boy gets say the firstborn firstborn boy or the firstborn girl perhaps golden boy golden girl gets that special position with mom or dad the other siblings will feel left out mm -hmm. and and this sibling might even have a parentified role so you'll see some conflict and the other thing that happens is is if this golden boy or golden girl does start to separate the siblings will, will come to the assistance then of the parent and say, how dare you not talk to mom? So the, 
you'll get calls from the siblings and say, "You have mom wants to talk with you. Why haven't you called mom lately?" Mm -hmm. so, so the siblings in time also keep guard of the system. I see. And they'll become agents of the mother or the father who wants to keep that adult child who is a surrogate husband and wife entangled. So the siblings then will be part of the agents of the mother or the act as the agents of the mother or father. Okay. So some of the symptoms, if you will, if you want to describe it, that as a, an enmeshed system is, you know, like I've, I've heard of, you know, parents saying, well, there's no secrets, you know, even when the, the kids marry, you know, that new system, they don't have secrets, you know, it's, it's a, now you're a part of our family rather than, you know, you're creating a new family. And so there is no secrets between us. You know, there's That's no right. privacy. That's right. And, and I get complete access to the grandchildren as if they're mine, right? And your, your parent, so that go even a step further, your um, parenting is secondary to my grandparenting. So that's when the parents can get really intrusive, which they cross boundaries and they become uh, sort of in the center of that new family system. Uh, again, you know, if we look at other cultures, they would they would sort of spin that as that's just the way it is, right? You mm -hmm. you your and so the and also I I had met with a, a couple a few Asian colleagues recently on this topic, who I was just wanting to hear more about the Asian culture. And they said that the other issue that happens when a when a culture comes into the Western culture, and it's and there's a prejudice against it, or there's uh, abuse or something, the culture even more rigidly locks down and demands even greater alliance because of the trauma associated with the hitting the prejudice of the Western culture. And you'll see that in some some circling of the wagons. Yeah. So trauma yeah. in sub subcultures, we might even look at the African American culture for that matter. So it's trauma can cause this sort of sort of locking down don't you dare live outside the system you're loyal to the system you you're everybody else is second right so sometimes the trauma story plays a role there now i don't have a good answer about what you should do about that <laughs> I, I i think i think that the family system this is my opinion mm -hmm. and, and these these systems that are, are collectivistic will argue in in and say the opposite, but I think the system has an obligation to accommodate the adult child. Yeah, yeah. That I, I think the last spiritual assignment for parents is to take the loss, to let that kid leave the nest. Yeah. And then yeah. return by choice and reintegrate into the system. You're not going to lose him or her. You just get a more robust adult in your system. But yeah. I think I think systems that are uh, that are rigid and um, where there's no secrets, where there's, you know, all loyalty is here. They feel very threatened by anybody who is, has independence outside the system. Yeah. And they, they they're fragile in their identity formations, although they may look very rigid on the outside. I've heard you say for say before this this term that's always stuck with me because you, you said this, the term you know the freedom to choose and so forth and I've heard you use this term in the past can obligatory guilt. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, so that that's that's the currency of of what gets exchanged. We might even call that obligatory love, which feels like guilt, right? So the currency in the mesh systems is that they exchange obligatory love assignments. And, you know, I mean, obligatory love isn't bad, right? We're not going to throw that concept under the bus. Yeah. I mean, we all have relationships, we hope, that where there's a degree of obligatory love that keeps it moving and you do that out of choice and you sometimes you want to and sometimes you don't. But, you know, in order to have relationships work and um, there has to be a degree of obligatory love. But in the mesh systems, it becomes a sole currency. It's rigidly adhered to, and essentially it feels like obligatory guilt, that I must do this, that I have no choice. The guilt, when you talk to adults who are, are trying to navigate these two worlds, this sort of enmeshed family system, whether, whether it's because of a culture collectivism or other, dis, or other reasons 
we'll call them other dysfunctional reasons. Um, that implies that the collectivism is dysfunctional. I don't mean it that way, except that the collective system doesn't easily merge into Western culture. There is a dysfunction there. There is a conflict. <clears throat> but so when you listen to these adults who have one foot in their world and one foot in the family world, they, they feel torn. They're constantly feeling guilty. They, they, they try to placate everybody. They stretch themselves and, and extend themselves. And, and the person who loses, ironically, is them. They lose track of who they are, what they want, what's good for them. They're busy trying to give the needs to my family, my partner, my wife, my kids, my mother, my father, my siblings, my cousin, nothing left for me. So they, these these adults who are enmeshed with family systems, for whatever reasons, are torn. Yeah. Are torn. Yeah. And they live in this obligatory guilty space that you're talking about, which is constant. They make decisions out about they they decide what job to get or what job to leave or what person to marry, or that's really where the dysfunction. One of the downsides that gets transmitted from an MS system is my internal compass of how I choose who I want in my life, where I go, is now based on some guilty, obligatory assignment that I must say yes when I mean no. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so that becomes, it, it's not just the dysfunction in the family, it now has downloaded in the personality structure in the sense of parts of self, which I, do, I, what, what I use to decide if I should be involved with you as a friend or a lover is out of guilt. Yeah. Well, that's not a good, that's not a good compass point. You're going to no. get yourself in a lot of trouble and a lot of disappointment and dissatisfaction if that's your compass point. So the way to break that is to say, no, not my job. I love you because I want to, not because I'm obligated to. It doesn't mean I don't show up when you're in trouble, mom, dad, you might need assistance. Sometimes I have to put my needs down. I'm happy to be there for you. And maybe sometimes I'm not happy to be there for you, but I'm willing to be there for you. But, but I'm my own person too. Mm -hmm. And first, and ironic, and, and most importantly, first of all, that's where the rub is. Yeah. In, in order yeah. to get out of that obligatory guilt, the belief system has to be challenged. Again, you get into these debates about collective systems, collective systems that have collectivism in it, or systems that are first generation or systems that have had trauma in the culture. They say, no, it doesn't matter. You, you be loyal to us. Mm. Circle, and, the, circle the wagons. And the system, the system uses guilt to, to, to drive compliance, right? I, I think of an incident where um, mom was sad, so dad calls daughter and says, you know, your, your mom's really sad. You know, right. you need to talk to her. It's not she needs to talk to her. It's he, want, he needs, you know, wants her to talk to her. <laughs> you know, but it's that guilt that mom's sad, so you need to talk with her. You know, yeah. so it's almost like a, it's almost like a tool that, to, to kind of, you know, maintain that that obligation or, or that that uh, enmeshment. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, and you're you're saying something important here. You notice how the system members aligns and keeps the system going. Right. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I don't want to deal with mom. So don't you go too far, golden boy. Because mm -hmm. I see the burden she is, and I, I, I get to be separate from her as long as you're involved in taking care of her. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go off and be an emancipate, I'm going to call you up and remind you not to go too far. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'll make you feel guilty, too, if I can. So you're right. The, the system members will use obligatory guilt to leverage you back into that, that role of, of caretaking and so, surrogate husbandry or surrogate wife duties to the parent. Yeah. Now, I would assume this creates a lot of problems then in our adult relationships. I'm really excited for this book that you have coming out. Um, because my, my, my assumption is, I mean, as a married spouse, we do have, we do have needs, 
you know, but if you didn't feel like you had a choice as a child to meet, you know, needs, which you weren't supposed to meet anyways. So when your spouse has legitimate needs, does that drive some resistance, some anger that's projected at the spouse that really is meant maybe for one of the parents? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, good, good, good observation. Glad you're bringing that up. Absolutely. So what, what you're describing is so let's just let's just kind of grow this child up into adulthood who's been under this obligatory guilty assignment to caretake and absorb the parents problems right and so uh, your needs become my needs i have no distinction so i really don't have much of a self so i, I marry somebody or i get involved with somebody and they have some needs and you you're right you experience that as whoa enmeshing suffocating um, engulfing, smothering, those are the words we hear, mm -hmm. and they begin to get ambivalent. So we, so enmeshed adults have often have ambivalent attachment styles, one foot in and one foot out. I'm not going to give you all of me because I've already been, my life's been sucked out of me over here. You're only going to get part of me. So then you get a conflict. Then the partner or spouse says, wait a minute, you're, you're not with me all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you're busy making vacation plans with your family, but you don't bring me into the conversation mm -hmm. or I want more time with you. And pretty soon the the anger gets projected over here that you don't dare have at your parent. So you're right. We call that projection or displacement onto the spouse feelings of of being smothered or engulfed and then angry over don't you dare. And the other thing that spins off on this that you and I both know working with sex addiction and porn addiction and behaviors, compulsive behavior sexually, is now I'm going to look for an out. I'm going to look for an exit. Now I'm trapped by my family. I feel trapped by my spouse. I got no place to go where I feel free. So I'm going to turn to porn or I'm going to turn to a um, sex worker or an affair where I'm not under any love obligation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I'm free. So this sex addiction, I, I don't mean that literally, I mean that sort of, it's a false promise that I can now act out sexually, we call it acting out sexually, yeah, uh, or escape in porn or um, behavior sexually that pull me away from obligatory assignment. And then it gets really compulsive because boy, this feels good. You know, yeah. I don't have to, I'm not emotionally obligated to anybody. The other thing we can see in this sort of escape uh, exit exiting is eating, right? I can eat what I want. I'll do it. So there's some part of that adult child <clears throat> that when they face feeling trapped in the relationship with the spouse and feeling conflict, nobody understands me. You won't give me any room. They're not, they're not identifying that it has to do with the family. Pretty soon you're looking for an escape. Food and sex are the primary escape routes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Why is that? Well, because you have you have access to them, and they they give so there's there's a sense I can eat. I had I had a guy say to me one time, a man say to me, a client say to me one time. I decided at an early age, she she can she being the mother controlled him. But you're not going to control my eating. I'll eat what the hell I want to eat. <laughs> yes. So it became a protest. But unfortunately, it caused him a lot of health issues. Mm. And, mm. So the, and so sex and food are sort of always available internally. They're kind of the internal drugstore, so to speak, versus having to get hooked on alcohol or 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 drugs i mean that that too can play that role but we tend to see more sex and food because of the 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 sort of normative accessible parts of our being are involved in those two aspects yeah so is, is that kind of you know for someone that does struggle with sexual addiction did they at some point in their adolescent or childhood recognize hey this is the place where i have my independence or my privacy or my, my um, place where I'm not obligated, you know, and I, I think so. I think there is, I think there is a, I, I don't know if it's always conscious, okay. but, but there is a certain 
uh, moment, or we call it a catalytic moment, where I feel this sense of freedom that really sort of charges me and, and sort of uh, sort of redirects my path sexually. So now I'm going to pursue that those experiences where I feel free, even though ironically, the more compulsive I am, the less freedom I have. I've heard you say before that, you know, sex addicts often recreate the neurochemistry of their youth in terms of, in terms of, you know, they have this enmeshment and, and I want you to talk a little bit about this, that sometimes the enmeshment recovery contradicts the sexual addiction recovery because oftentimes the, the sex addiction will, will create this lack of privacy then, you know, once discovery is made. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. So um, th- that's an int- that's a, that's that's something that's becoming clearer to me, and I'm beginning to see um, as we work with more cases, kind of how best to handle that. But what you're describing is that when there's a betrayal, sexual betrayal in a in a relationship, which is implicit or explicit contracts of fidelity, like a marriage, for example, uh, one mm-hmm. that's we expect you to be faithful in. So whether that's explicit or implicit, when there's a betrayal of that trust, then the spouse or partner is thrown into a traumatic, acute traumatic response. Then um, they get their own set of symptoms through no fault of their own. Um, And then there's a path of recovery for the couple that requires the spouse or partner to say, hey, what have you been doing all day? You didn't call me. There's Mm -hmm. a need to sort of move into the privacy of the recovering addict so that I can be secure that you're not off, you know, um, acting in your addiction. So if we just take that path, there's there's cost about what should be shared, how much is shared, how what role or how often should a spouse or does a spouse need to be asked for privacy. So there, there's an ongoing discussion about um, you know, how to check in on that, the frequency of that, what's the best way to do a disclosure of sexual secrets. So there's a whole uh, field of discussion, as you know, clinically about how to handle that mm-hmm. and then how to keep that from becoming, from their spouse becoming the police, right? So, it, you know, there's an obvious need for sharing in the early parts of recovery as a couple. Mm-hmm. The addict has to do the heavy lifting checking in, letting the spouse know about their recovery. But if that doesn't change, if there's no trust that develops, then the couple can get into a rigid lockdown pattern in which the one adult becomes the police, mm-hmm. policing the recovering addict. And then that person feels like the controlling parent to the man. So if this man also has an enmeshment story, yes. now we really have trouble because if if the spouse says, I don't care, I got to know what you're doing day and night. I want complete access to everything in spite of the fact that you've been in recovery for five years. Intellectually, I know you're not acting out, but I, I got to have access. Now she feels like mommy. Mm-hmm. And so this man has a boy in him who was once controlled by his mother. And it might have, re- it might have driven the, the origination, origination of the addiction, right? Exactly. Provoking provoking his spouse to become like his mother. Exactly. And so now his job is to is to have his own voice, both with his mother and family, all and his wife. So there is a clash. There's a clash between enmeshment recovery, the the recovering individual needs his own voice. And not everything is secrecy, some things are privacy. I don't want to share every time I notice somebody is attractive. I'm not sure that's my addiction. It may just be my biology. But if if my biology is always going to be under scrutiny, we're in trouble here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I have other agreements with you, spouse or partner, in which, yes, this is what I don't do. And you, you can have access to asking me about that. But so the enmeshment recovery ultimately leads to, I need my own voice. Hmm. In its, its most um, regressed state, the recovery from the addiction in the coupleship can lead to a parental role, as I mentioned, and now you have a clash. 
And so one of the things we noticed, <clears throat> we noticed sometimes is that in, in the couple's recovery from enmeshment, if the man winds up sneaking around and contacting his mother on the side and not involving the spouse and say, you know what, I'm going to call my family this weekend. I want you to know. I got this. You don't need to worry. I'm going to check in with you after. My decision, I'm the adult in my life. But I don't need your permission. You're not going to police this. But I also understand that I'm lovingly obligated to keep you in the loop. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. If that recovering sex addict, also recovering from enmeshment, doesn't bring the partner in, but sneaks a call off or sends a gift to his mother, it feels like the betrayal of the sex addiction to the wife. Mm-hmm. So we got, we've got to ask the recovering enmeshed man not to sneak around as a solution to this any more than he would with his sex addiction. Yeah, yeah. He has to say, look, I'm going to contact my parents this weekend. I'm going to have a short call. I want to see how they're doing. I'm in my adult. I'll check in with you later. That's good. But you are not my permission. You're not my policewoman here. I don't need your permission to do that. Now, the trouble is, if the if the wife or partner has not seen evidence of recovery, she's going to have a hard time trusting that. Yeah, it's going to create a lot of anxiety. So there has to be some evidence of recovery that the that the individual can handle his family. Okay. And then he'll check in after. Look, at, I had a nice call. They asked how you were doing. I kept my boundaries. I didn't make any promises. We're good. Okay. All right. That's how we do this. So that's that's the formula for moving forward um, for the couple. The trouble is if the partner is burdened with betrayal, she may have little capacity to tolerate any independence on part of the recovering addict. And that gets to be because she feels threatened by that. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. if if you're out there being independent with your family, what's going to stop you from picking up the phone and calling an affair part, right? So all of a sudden, autonomy and independence, even in its normative state, could feel threatening to a betrayed partner. She has some difficult decisions and some sorting to do on that. Yeah. Because functioning role of the police, meaning monitoring you, is not in anybody's best interest. No. Because I'm assuming it creates just massive amounts of anxiety for her to have to police him. And, and there's no and there's and there's no stopping. And there's no amount of policing that stops an addict from acting out if they're going to act out. Yeah, yeah. And what it is, the policing is safety seeking. So the more, the more the recovering addict and the enmeshed man, in this case heterosexual man, woman being the the trade partner, the more he can offer transparency without feeling like it's submission to mommy, the more safety she could feel. Yeah, yeah. Which is the same formula with recovering from sex addiction. Transparency can breed a sense of safety. So transparency is the best solution for the recovering enmeshment as well. Okay. I, I, I know this is probably your experience too, Ken, but my, my experience is one, if, if I notice someone that probably has some significant enmeshment um, and they're not aware of it, I, I usually become the, the object of their, their frustration. They, they get very defensive and angry with, that you would even suggest it. And is that, is that because of the continual loyalty to the parent? Exactly, right. Well, it's <clears throat> what you're confronting them with is the bind that they feel. Yeah. They feel trapped and they feel um, stuck in li- trying to live in two worlds. And um, when, you, when you confront the issue of enmeshment with the client, it penetrates that world temporarily. And it, it feels what it feels like to the enmeshed individual is you're, you're saying to them, you need to choose. And so you want to be mindful of that when you bring it up, because 
they, they, what you mean by your questioning is different than how they're interpreting it. Mm -hmm. They're feeling like you're asking me to amputate my family. Mm -hmm. You're asking me, to, you know, to do something I can't do. And yeah. so it, it's better to move in and when you notice somebody with enmeshment issues, dynamics, and say, you know, tell me about how that felt to be over at your family's the other day and for them to criticize your wife in front of you. What was that like for you? And so you want to hold space for them. You want to you wanna align with how much, what bind they feel. And if you can... If you can build on that rapport with them, you must really be a bind for you. You mm -hmm. must have wanted to protect your wife, but you didn't dare confront your mother. Mm -hmm. What was that like? So you want you want to start to build on the your empathy for their bind, and when you get a solid connection there, then you might move into labeling. You okay. Know? And I wonder if we can take a deeper look at that. Yeah. And see if there's a way for you to align yourself to yourself and your wife and still have a relationship with your parents. Oh yeah, what's that mean? So then if they can begin to ask questions, now you might you might direct them to material uh, like my books or I have stuff on the overcomingenmeshment.com uh, website, you know, they can look at, or you could play right in session, short yeah. little clips, videos. So. You know, remember that when you bring it up, you penetrate that world in which they feel there's no freedom to move. And what they hear is you're wanting to uh, want them to amputate their their mother or father. Remember, their first loyalty is theirs. So you've got to tread lightly, hold space, be mindful of that denial and that their belief system is really organized around loyalty to the system. Yeah, yeah. And so when you say the word enmeshment, yeah. They're feeling confronted in their belief system, yeah. yeah, which I frankly think they need to be. Mm -hmm. But you you want to move into that as as carefully as you can, and certainly doing something like this, a podcast where somebody can sit back, listen in, and kind of filter in and out the information from me and you mm -hmm. at their leisure, and yeah. just sit with it and and figure out what they're going to do with it. So. So I, I got a question in regards to, you know, is, is enmeshment possible with the same sex parent, you know, daughter, mom, father, son? Absolutely. absolutely. You know, sometimes we'll see it, you, you will see it, you know, it seems to be rampant in the truth these days, but we see it more under the guise of the extension of a narcissistic desire for my kid to be what I want him or her to be. So you'll see this, this parent, this hovering sort of, you know, you better do, you better do these parents who, who beat up the umpire at the, at the baseball game or the, or the soccer game because they called their kid out or something, right? That yeah. there's this narcissistic extension that my kid is, is me, right? Yeah. And so that's, that's a similar dynamic um, that we see. And we can see that with fathers and sons, particularly in sports, for example. The, the classic enmeshment dynamic where, and we see that with, with sons and fathers and if there's a family business, we can see that. We can see some of that, you know, with fathers and sons, if the father's gripping too tight as the son's moving into his world, and maybe he's his hunting buddy or and he doesn't want, so there could be some of that. We more typically see it with daughters and mothers, where the daughter becomes the best friend to the mother in place of the father who's absent. Mm -hmm. She might not lean on the son. So the daughter doesn't become the surrogate husband per se. She, there's elements of that, but she becomes enmeshed. So we have some frequency of daughters with mothers more than we do sons and, uh, <coughs> sons and fathers in this classic enmeshed dynamic. Uh, we see in one of the, we often see food disorders uh, with women, more sexual disorders with men and mesh. But again, I want—I don't want to generalize, overgeneralize. We see them both. Uh, sometimes the the mother and the daughter will um, align against the father. If the father is a brute, is an alcoholic, maybe he's a, a violent or or abusive, the the daughter will be angry with the father too, 
or, or feel traumatized by the father, but she might also absorb the mother's hatred or anger at the father. And pretty soon the daughter has absorbed, has her own feelings, but also not has her mother's feelings. Mm. And really has a hard time in romantic relationships because now she, she's angry and she doesn't trust. Mm. And that's where the projection she, happens into her husband. Yes. Yeah. yeah, she has her own story and she's absorbed her mother's anger as well. Yeah. Well, I know we're almost running out of time, but I, I want to I wanna kind of get into, I know you've talked about like the stages of how do I move out of enmeshment? And I, I know you've talked about separation, differentiation, and then finally emancipation. Could you talk just a little bit about that, what that looks like going through those kind of stages? Yeah, so let, let's, we can, yeah, so... Again, we're going to set aside the collectivism of cultures and their conflict with the Western culture. We're just going to say that in Western culture, there needs to be a degree of, of, of autonomy and independence to make it. And it is what it is. So we'll just, we'll just say it what it is. And we'll, we'll save for another time how to manage the clash between other cultures and the Western culture, what's pathological, what's not setting aside for a moment. So the, the movement is, I need some separateness. So I can't call you every day. I'm not going to listen to you talk, complain about dad, about your sexual problems with dad. I'm done doing that. So separation, right? Some boundaries. That may mean topics of conversation, or maybe you stop taking money or giving money to the family. Look, and I, I, I don't need to take money from you. I need to make my own. Um, it might mean topics of conversation. I mentioned that. It might mean time. It could even mean a move out of the vicinity. I need mm -hmm. my own geographic space. Although geography, a geography separation is not emancipation. So you can move away to the other side of the country here in the States, away from your enmeshed family or enmeshed parent, and you could still feel emotionally tethered to them every day. Mm -hmm. So separation, there needs to be some separateness. I got to get my own sea legs. I got to have some time on my own to think for myself. I can't be bombarded with your problems every day, mom. And then there need, but then there needs to be what we call differentiation. Okay, I'm me and you're you. Your problems are your problems. I might want to help you with them. I might choose to, but they're not my problems. You have your own higher power. I'm not it. Yeah. So my needs are not my needs. Your feelings are not my feelings. I'm differentiated from you. Myself is different from you. Yeah. And then the final phase, emancipation, which is kind of the outcome of this, is you know what? I'm my own man now. Your 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 problems, mom, would be no longer a threat to me. I had an email from a man the other day who had come to our level one workshop. Uh, for enmeshment. And he said, you know, I can't thank you enough. He goes, I can, not only can I be around my mother and not feel an order of responsibility and still care about her, but I'm also enjoying her. Wow. And I was like, wow, there you go. Yeah. There you go. That, that, so that's emancipation. I can sit with you and I can love you because I'm not burdened with you become that me be merging with you. I'm differentiated from you. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, those I, are the broad three phases that have a lot of work to do in all of those phases. Yeah. I've heard you say before, emancipation is not nego negotiable. Yeah. And so let's, let's, so, so you don't, so again, we're going to set aside the collectivism of the, of other cultures. But, you know, I get these questions all the time. Should I invite my, my mother or father into family therapy and talk to them about them? Well, you could. But what often happens if, the, say, the enmeshed son with the mother invites the mother into family therapy session, it winds up feeling like a marital session. And then he lapses in his sex addiction two days later. So it's you don't need your parents' agreement to be your own person. Yeah, you're spiritually obligated to unfold who you are. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a Western cultural phenomenon, but that's me. And so it would be nice to have their blessing. I love you, sweetheart. Please visit. 
we'd like to see you. And by the way, I would like to see you to visit too. When's a good time? So you'd like your parents' blessing, but you don't need your agreement to emancipate. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, we we work with a lot of Christian clients here. And so one of the things I'll hear, you know, is, well, my parents, you know, and these are adult kids. My, my parents say they need, I need to obey them, you know, coming from the Bible. Children, obey your parents. And Mark used to say, you know, when he was around, he used to say, that's, you know, that's when you're a child. <laughs> you know, but when you're an adult, you know, honor, honoring your parents involves being truthful and being honest. You know? Yes. And doesn't the Bible also say something about leaving your parents? <laughs> yes, it does. It does. So, so I think I think when you get the Bible uh, quotes, it's really about denial. I don't want to deal with this. And I it feels too complicated. So I'm going to oversimplify it. Just pull up a scripture. Because you can also pull up the scripture that says you should be separate from your parents. I forget how it goes, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Leaving, leaving your parents. So I think it's really about, about avoidance. And so yeah. you can you can still love your parents, be respectful. Yeah, well, I think nobody's advising not to do that. <laughs> well, I think those passages are oftentimes used to to drive that obligatory guilt that we talked about earlier. Yeah. You know? Well, listen, it's been great. It's been great having you, uh, being with you, and I'm glad you're doing this. I think this stuff is helpful. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll mention once again my website, uh, if that's okay. Yes, yes, for sure. But if your listeners want to hear, learn more about enmeshment, I have a, a number of free um, uh, downloads of videos on my website. We do a monthly free webinar for the public. Uh, my facilitators and I uh, do different topics related to enmeshment. That website is, uh, you can get to, is overcoming all one word dot com. It, there's also uh, stuff in there about uh, workshops and so forth. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I know I've referred guys to, to your overcoming enmeshment workshop and lots of good things uh, about that for sure. And so um, I appreciate you joining us, Ken. And um, You're welcome. As always, um, you know, you, you, I met you a little bit after after Mark passed away, and it was kind of good timing just to get to to know you and have a have another mentor come into my life. So I just really yeah. want to thank you for that. You're welcome. It's nice to stay connected to to Mark through you. That's a nice nice connection for us. Yeah. All right. Thanks, All right. Ken. All right. You're welcome. Well, thanks very much, Jim, for that conversation with Ken Adams. I'm sure that our listeners and our viewers uh, were very uh, intrigued and and benefited greatly from that conversation. Uh, For those of you out there, we want to thank you again for joining us on the Faithful and True podcast. We hope that this coming week for you will be a week that's filled with many blessings and great vision.